0: Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth, and joining us from the other side of the country is Chris Grell. You say it? I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Grell, that's right? correct. Yeah. Yep, perfect. Yeah. And it's a Learning to Feel. The subtitle is One Man's Path to Reconnecting to the Heart of Emotions. Um, for those of you who want to learn more about Chris, uh, I would, uh, encourage you to go to innerworks, I-N-N-E-R-W-O-R-K-S hyphen consulting dot com. Uh, he also has a podcast show that will be up there as well. So you can take a look at that. And, uh, Chris is going to be speaking with us this morning about this new book. Uh, he has quite a few other books too. And I would encourage you to go to his website and check out his prior books. Um even though they don't follow a path toward this one, all of them um there is a similarity here's the
1: path it. of my life
0: you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly path of all of our lives, which is <laughs> twisting and turning and going here and there so true. but chris's chris's background spans forty years of organizational consulting executive leadership coaching uh he's a sought after speaker uh he's the author of seven books which you can learn out uh that go from Meritable Relations to Spiritual and Personal Transformation. Uh, He's a strategic consultant. Uh, He's worked in elite Boston business landscape, pharmaceutical companies, legal, financial firms uh, across all the United States, South America, Europe, and Africa. Uh, Globally recognized leadership coach in the C-suite. Lifelong competitor uh, in rugby, taekwondo. And four Boston Marathons. Um, his background from an educational standpoint is a Bachelor of Science and Master's of Education in Psychology and Counseling from Pennsylvania State University. And he took courses toward a doctorate at the University of Maryland. He received and completed his Master's of Arts in Theology Research at Hanover Newton Theological School in Boston. And he certified a large number of psychological and behavioral assessments. And is a member of the Society of Industrial Organizational Psychologists and National Speakers Association. Well, you have a impressive background and bio. And as you said, I think in the book, a couple times, if it came to psychology, maybe you're a little bit overeducated. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but there's right. nothing wrong with that, Chris. That's good. You know, in this book, as I saw it, was you being quite vulnerable as a mm. writer, as a human being talking about your own personal stories and allowing that vulnerability to actually be the journey and framework for the book to let people get in touch with their emotions. And I think you did a really good job of that. And I Mm -hmm. want to start this off with, um, with the first question, which is really, and you start the book off, you were quite vulnerable about this. It's a time when Sarah, your wife, confronted you about some flirtatious emails uh, you were sending to an old flame. Um, You then speak about doing deep work and your emotions about not being enough. And I want to pause there for a second, because that's a big thing that drives people to take actions both positively and negatively. It meaning, you know, it not being enough. But not enough. Yeah. You not you, you drivers, could actually yeah. you you can actually end up being an alcoholic or a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Not being enough can be a driver to send you to the top of CEO of a company. Right. Great. Right. Um. So the whole concept of just not enough, not enough means hey, maybe this woman isn't good. I could go get another woman and have an affair. And mm. that's, that's another thing you could address, right? Which so, is certainly uh, one
1: of her interpretations, yes.
0: <laughs> so speak with us that as it relates to getting in touch with that emotion.
1: Well, so let me just unpack that just a little bit, you know, starting off with that level of vulnerability, you know, was a risk that I've taken all of my books before have been subject matter that I'm an expert on. And so I could write about it, but, um, but there's a this thing that stuck in the back of my head. And we, we talked about it earlier when we were just having a conversation where, you know, Ken Wilber's good friend, David Data called him a fraud because he said that Wilber's job was to be at the cutting edge of the human experience and report back and anytime he wasn't doing that when he was teaching or when he was writing it was fraudulent you know and 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 you know essentially my wife is calling me out as a fraud because I teach emotional intelligence I teach you know all of I know all about you know uh, emotions and I could you know talk at length about them but did I actually experience them and do I know what my experience is and in this one particular incident that came up where I, my answer to her is I, or was, I don't know why I did that. You know, it, it was back in the days when, you know, when social media was just coming to the forefront and I, you know, people were just connecting, you know, with people and, and this old, old flame had contacted me and said, hi, how are you doing? And, yeah. you know, it just escalated really rapidly and, you know, and she I cut wanted, it off. She,
0: she wanted to know what you were hiding.
1: She wanted, yeah. Well, I didn't hide it. I mean, I know. You know I'm, I'm, I was naive. I am naive a lot of times about <laughs> internet stuff. And, <laughs> and, and so you know, when she was looking for something on my computer, she actually came across the text to my men's team where I said, "Hey, I cut it off right at the right at the the root." You know, and you know, I just wanted to be honest with my team. And she said, cut what off and starts looking and says, oh, my God, you know, there's this there's this trail back and forth between me and this other woman. Um, And she said, why did you do that? And and my answer was, I don't know. And that was unacceptable. So I went on this quest to really dig into what is it that causes our emotions? You know, what was the emotion that was driving me? Because a lot of our actions, a lot of what we do are not actions they're reactions and what we're reacting to is often a visceral feeling a, a you know a gut emotional feeling you know that causes to do one thing or another so I went on this quest to do that and uh, you know a buddy of mine who's a, a, a consultant and, and uh, an author as well um said you know like you really ought to write this <laughs> you know this is this is a good story so it was a real risk um for me to to tell the story of how do I how I went digging in the dirt to to find what was the source of that. Interesting, um, you know, yeah.
0: you you talk about emotional intelligence and obviously you're very well versed, versed in this topic, but yet you you went back to school and uh got a degree in theology. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to know what your definition of spiritual intelligence is.
1: Mm, What a brilliant concept, you know, so emotional intelligence, and I'll relate the two emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence, things like that is the ability to be aware enough of yourself to know what's yours and what's not yours, you know, so that when I'm reacting to someone else, you know, I'm not blaming that other person for my reaction. I know that that came from me. I know what the source of my emotions are. And and the important part of emotional intelligence is getting to what's the source code underneath it because our emotions come from our beliefs and uh, and our thoughts about those beliefs. So if I have a belief I'm not enough, my emotion about being scared or 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 feeling fragile or needing to compete you know, you listed my competition stuff. You know, that's all from not enough. I'm just trying to prove to myself that I am enough, right? <laughs> um, nobody plays well, rugby where, for that where,
0: long. <laughs> where, Chris, where, Chris, would you find truth? So, in other well, words, you know, if we have a belief, and yeah. beliefs can change mm-hmm. based upon influence. Experience. Well, experience,
1: based on our right? experiences, Yeah.
0: So, but when most people get involved with religion, we're going to have questions about that coming up. The way. Yeah, right, right. They they get a big T. I call it the big T, a truth. The big truth. Yeah, and well, they, they stand on it that. As that. Plat- they stand on that platform mm-hmm. as if nothing else in the world existed. Mm-hmm. How do, can people not be so aware? That they find themselves in that big T and then they find out that that big T is a lie. And I'm That's not going to say plan. that about I'm not going to point out any. Religion no, 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 no. I, I hear what you're asking. Say what it is. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So so let's reel it back where we learn those big T truths is when we're children. You know, a lot of us get our spirituality, a lot of us get our beliefs about higher power or the divine or whatever you want to name that which is greater than ourselves when we're kids. You know, we either got it from our parents or we got it in Sunday school or we got it whatever, you know, in in yeshiva, you know, however, whatever spirituality that you grew up in, somewhere in that you were taught those things. and And as children, we learn things in absolutes. You know, in, in developmental psychology, we talk about the first phase of development is fundamental dualism. Yes, no mm. good, bad, up, down, black, white, you know. Um, and so those things are taught to us as this is the way it is. And we often never, you know, and, and religions don't do a good job of this, of of freeing up the person's mind, teasing them to, to question You know, most religions teach doctrine, and that is unquestionable. You know, like it is what it is. You know, the the undeniable truth of the Bible or something like that. And and if you haven't if you haven't studied that subject or haven't gone into it, it still lives as a truth. But what happens to us along the way is that we have experiences. You know, my book on the Dark Night of the Soul um, is called Wrestling the Angel. Um, and, and it's about what happens when those big T truths get blown up. You know, we have a belief that God is good and protects little, little children. And, and suddenly we see a bunch of children at a school massacred by some idiot with an AR-15. Right. And we go like, how could God allow that to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and so suddenly that belief in a deity that makes good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people gets blown up. It, it, it can't live in that place. And so some people, like, you know, you have one of three reactions. One is you retreat to fundamental dualism. Two, you know, you just give it up. You let go. Right. Three right. is you evolve, you know, and, and what happens in the dark night no is when- that
0: hopefully yeah. when people read your book they're going to evolve because this well, is a book we hope. <laughs> well but this book is about evolution uh it is yes on yeah. a journey yeah. and and i want to say something you know you mentioned in the book that you believe that the emotions are emotions mm-hmm. and i would say this even for myself many times i'm not like i've been doing this show almost 17 plus years now Wow. yeah and i've i've heard it all mm. but you say our emotions are hog tied in the trunk. I love that term. I, I love that term that you used.
1: Well, actually, not- it's the other way around. I, I want to correct that, you know. What, um, what was it? It's actually that emotions are in the driver's seat and reason and logic are tied in the trunk.
0: Okay, I got it wrong then. But Yeah, right.
1: And it's so- actually from Brene Brown. I-, I-, I lifted that from her and I thought it was such a great a w- way to describe it, it And you know and what she means really and what i mean by that is that emotions often drive our reactions you know right. and and they override our logic and our our willfulness our 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 mind if you will um those those more gut level reactions that are emotional reactions really you know take us down a street that we don't necessarily want to go down um you know if we were thinking logically about it if we if were making rational decisions and things like that
0: i so, often say today when i see what's going on in the world you know where did mm. logical reasoning go where did deductive yeah. reasoning go you know is it you know and this next story that we're going to talk about with you mm. is an exact Perfect example of what I'm talking about because it's our perception of reality. Now, here's Mm -hmm. what happened that you described in the book you lived in Germany or in a military base, your family were playing with a bunch of kids with toys, and yeah, it was about four years old then. Yeah, it wouldn't well. I mean, like Bruce Lipton says, the first seven years are plugged in, and literally, (laughs) you're not going to erase those seven years, right? Right, so so. You're playing with these kids and then they mock you for being stingy because you're not right. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. And you recall yeah. the story for our listeners. And subsequently. Now, this is what the part, happened to it. Yeah. It, this is the part that people have to get here. Yeah. It's about the story. It's about the toys. It's about but it's about what you made up as yeah. your reality as a kid at that point, which just shows you where people potentially can go when they want to make shit up (laughs) yeah right
1: (laughs) and and so the brain's job is to make meaning right Uh the brain's job is always making shit up right Mm -hmm. Um, right. and so here's this little kid i'm you know four years old i'm playing out there the kids start teasing me i get pissed i get angry as angry as a little four-year-old boy could get and i look down and there's a set of stairs that you know like just three or four stairs that go down they're made out of bricks and there's a loose brick on the side and i picked up that brick and I threw it and I hit a kid on the side of the head and it just gushed blood. And, you know, I got scared. I ran inside, hit under the dining room or the kitchen table crying and I wouldn't come out. Um, so that's what was in my head as the memory. Um, you know, and, and I'm doing, you know, much later in life and when I'm like 35 or 40 or something like that, um, you know says so quite a while ago, but um, I'm doing this training, and they challenge us to question our fundamental beliefs about ourselves and this memory came up, and so my <laughs> sister's my sister's two years older than me, and so I call up my sister and I say, you know la da 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 tell the story about the you know that and throwing the brick and hitting the kid and 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 she said well i remember I remember you hiding under the kitchen table crying and not coming out." I don't remember anything about the, uh, you know, hitting other kids or anything. Maybe you should call mom. So I call my mother. She goes, Chris, this is an army base. The mothers are all hardwired together. If anything like that even remotely happened, I would have known in an instant that never happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and my
1: mind went kaboom, <laughs> you know, and and so suddenly what I recognized was that this four-year-old little boy got angry enough to want to throw a brick. I don't, four years old, I don't have the physical acumen to be able to pick up a brick and throw it and and hit you actually in the head. It probably would have gone plop in front of me. (laughs) But in my mind, I visualized that and it was so clear a memory that it lived as a reality for me. And suddenly my belief about me being a big, you know, hurtful person got blown up.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, I
1: just, you know, like I I lived for 35 years believing that I could cause harm. I'm 6'3", well, 220, you know, I'm a big guy.
0: But, and, that's, and, but yeah. that is that what we're talking about. Is right, exactly. How, how these stories evolve and then mm-hmm. live inside of our consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we believe them and then you validate it through other people that it wasn't true. It's almost like doing a gestalt therapy, right? But you didn't right. go in the little you didn't go into the other little boy's head and pretend like you were him. You didn't need to. All you really <laughs> needed to do is check with mom. And mom said, Hey, Chris, there's no way you threw a brick or hit a kid in the head. Because exactly. Did, it, it, the whole army base would have been <laughs> Yeah
1: yeah, I would I would have had some other kind of consequence of that, other than well, crying under the table.
0: <clears throat> I think you and I talked a little bit before we started this podcast, and one of the things I think is important is you know they always say in mindfulness meditation practices, take a deep breath before you act, not react. Mm-hmm. And this is around our emotions playing in decision making process, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um. I think this holds true whether you're buying a car, buying a house, or you're choosing a mate, right? It's a decision you're making. Sometimes these are very lifelong decisions, can be very expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Emotions, let's face it, when it's love. You said you made two T-shirts. One was love, three, and the other other one I'm wearing, which is gratitude, Gratitude. right? So speak with us. Because this is a really powerful concept. And I'm going to mm-hmm. relate one thing real quick. Uh, there's a, a, an MIT grad, and she's blind, and she's written these books about choices, mm-hmm. how we make choices. Now, <clears throat> you probably already know this, but she went in and studied, and she I think she's written two or three books. She's been on the show fascinating woman about hey when you have five choices at the grocery store and you're trying to make a decision versus three choices versus two choices Mm -hmm. right and now you have this myriad of choices about making a decision right and how the mind works the more choices you have Mm -hmm. the worse decision you actually make logically right yeah right so so how do you help us deal with these emotions which are driving our ability to make a decision, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent?
1: So I have to inhale because there's so much to, to unpack in that. So so first off, much of our decision making is not choice. Much of our decision making is emotional driven reactions. You know, and, and a lot of those reactions or a lot of those, those, what we think of our choices, um, are neural paths that we've been down so many times that it's a, it's, it's habituated. And so we tend to always go this way when we get to that, that juncture in the, in the synaptic pathway. You know, we always go right or we always go left or whatever. And so we have a lot of those automatic choices. You know, what, and, and the research that was done at Harvard was Barry Schwartz, um, Renan, it's called The Paradox of Choice, is his book. Um, but, you know, and, and she actually, you know, accurately represented that when we have too many choices, you know, one, we get overwhelmed and we don't choose, you yeah. know, two, we tend to to um, second guess ourselves our choices when we have multiple choices. if there's only two choices you're going to pick one, and you'll be happier with that one be- because you picked it because the other one was clearly off the books you know off the off the table you know but when we have ten or let's say in the choice of a mate and there are a million and a half young women on the internet who are exposing various parts of their body in in sub- seductive ways, some guys look at that and say, wow, compared to what I have here, that looks pretty attractive, you know? And so their choice making is, is blurred because they have too many alternatives um, What Barry Schwartz says, it's like when when he gives people a chance to renegotiate their choice, they have less satisfaction with their choice and more often second guess themselves. If they are not able to renegotiate their choice, they have greater satisfaction. They report they like their choice so much more. So when you when you choose to get married, for example, when you choose to have a car, you know, buy a car. Um, you know that buyer's remorse that you have afterwards comes from those multiple choices out there unless you say, "No, this is my choice." now, how do we get to a decision where we 're actually making choice, not reaction that's well, how do you, what, how
0: do you prevent analysis paralysis you know and then people don't make yeah. any choice so right there's exactly. choices. And, well, and they and, analyze so much that they end up going, well, I'm just not going to do it at all.
1: Oh well, Yeah. And in the original study that that woman is was talking about, you know, they, they literally went to a whole foods market in, in Cambridge right. and and right. they put out they put out 10 different jellies. You right. know, that's the hey, same
0: woman. Hey, exactly. I'm talking about. And the peanut yeah, right. butter.
1: And yeah. the peanut. Right. And, and when people had. Too many choices. They never used the coupon. They never bought the jelly or the c- peanut butter. You know, when they had only three choices, you know, same store, same population, different different time. When they had only three choices, seventy percent of the people bought one of the jellies or bought one of the peanut butters. Three mm-hmm. percent when they had ten,
0: right? Three <laughs> percent versus
1: seventy percent. You know, so that overwhelm. You know, and and what what Schwartz called as the paradox of choice you really don't have a choice there you're not making a choice it's overwhelming and, and so you get into this you know analysis paralysis so how we have to get to decision making um, and my very first book was written about decision making uh, was a, a, a textbook way back in the 70s um, but um, you know what we what we have to look at is not what the alternatives are what we have to look at is what is it that I want? What is it that I need in, out of this decision right now? And and so what eliminates the analysis paralysis is knowing clearly what it is that I'm trying to do for myself or what I'm trying to do with this decision. You know, mm-hmm. so I just bought a new car. Um and I wanted something, blah, 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 blah. And I I listed out my my desired outcomes, you know, and you know, I saw three cars that fit those criteria. Um, and I looked at the, you know, consumer report ratings and things like that. And I checked off all the boxes and the one that satisfied the greatest number of highest weighted desired outcomes was the one that I bought. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have buyer's remorse because for me, that choice met all the things that I needed. You know, had I looked at, you know, I'm looking at a RAV4 versus a, you know, a Subaru, um, uh, forester versus um you know one of the other kias you know and you know if i if i was looking at kia versus subaru versus you know um uh toyota you know then i'm confused out there those those, those three choices and and they you know it's apples and oranges they're different they're different creatures and so my mind would uh, bounce how are
0: af- we how are we dealing with inherent biases because the reality. is, more about is, what. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's, look. Yeah, you do uh, have bias. You, yeah. You, you, yeah. You, you, you make this choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody on the internet is trying to create a bias toward right. whatever it is right. they're selling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's a Toyota or a Kia, doesn't matter. Right, right. When you're picking a mate, say, well, I like blonde hair, blue eyes. Oh, no, but there's a redhead over there. She looks pretty good mm-hmm. as well, right? Or he. I mean I don't mm-hmm. want to be biased here on sexist right right on sexes, Uh, you know, explain you know because over time, as we evolve and become older, mm-hmm. I see myself today having biases towards certain things, right. that I maybe didn't have as strong a bias toward previously,
1: mm-hmm. and right? we also and, have to be conscious we also have to be conscious of what we call confirmation bias. Which is, I have a belief that Toyotas are better than Fords, or I have a belief that blondes are 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 dumb and sorry, blondes, but my wife (laughs) is blonde, but she's (laughs) not dumb. Uh, But you know, I have a belief that this is better than that or whatever, and so I look for evidence that will confirm that. And so a lot of our a lot of our choice making is confirmation bias driven, not real choice. Okay. And again, you know, the whole process of learning to feel is to try to get at the base code of what are my beliefs that are driving all this, not not the emotional level.
0: I because, think that's yeah. the most important thing you've said is to get to that level of awareness.
1: Yeah, it's it, it, that's what emotional we're, intelligence we're, is.
0: When we're just when we're exactly, when we're mm-hmm. just riding on our emotions Mm-hmm. and we're not questioning and being aware of the decision we're making we fundamentally can make some very wrong decisions right, right? well
1: let's go back so, i want i want to go back i'm sorry to interrupt you greg but i, I don't want to step over this the whole you use the term spiritual intelligence
0: I asked you what your thought, your definition was of it. Yeah. And so I want to answer that.
1: that. I want to answer that, (laughs) you know. So if emotional intelligence is being aware of your own experience, your own belief system, that's the result of those experiences and and trusting that so that you're making choices based on what is there, not the emotion that it's it's causing. Spiritual intelligence is trusting the spiritual experience that you've had. So my spiritual experience is something other than the big T truth that my church had taught me, you know. And what overrides that that previously held truth is I trust my experience. If I've had, you know, a spiritual experience, if I've had an experience of, you know, kind of touching the divine, whatever that is to you, you know, then well, I, I think, get to I get uh, to trust that more than what I've been taught.
0: And I will say this: that uh, every podcast, I wrote a book called "Hacking the Gap: From Intuition to Innovation and Beyond." Mm-hmm. Now, this was my own way to look at a bigger spiritual world. Every major business person. From Warren Buffett to Bill Gates will tell you that their intuition was their best decision making <laughs> element. Okay. Right. Now, it, you can go look them up on the internet. There's quote yeah. after quote after quote about intuition. Sure. Mm-hmm. But intuition, now, this is a fascination. It, your fascination and curiosity about things that are greater than ourselves, mm-hmm. especially religion, you wouldn't have gone back and gotten a degree in theology if you hadn't had huge curiosity you mentioned that the bible was rich with lessons but rife with juicy stories and if you would speak with us about how this shaped emotion about guilt and shame for you because now here's two emotions well uh you grew yeah, up it's... you grew up in a fundamental background let's face it all mm-hmm. right You're not there now, because I can see from the symbols and signs on your door in the back of your room, (laughs) I I, I see more of an Eastern bit direction that you've taken um, versus Catholicism. Well, Uh, I
1: never was a Catholic, so, you know. Don't, or don't whatever blame me you for were that in, right. I, I grew mean, up Lutheran yeah
0: Lutheran okay so yeah. Lutheran sorry but you know they're not they're not that they're not that far, <laughs> not that far
1: apart. apart yeah right they're', they're cousins <laughs> um, so how does that how did the Bible and, and stories of the Bible so I have like I said I I've been fascinated with religion and spirituality since I was a little kid. It was probably the same age as the brick incident. I've I've still been fascinated by that stuff. There's something in me that was always curious about that. And actually, you know, after my undergraduate, I went to seminary to become a minister, but dropped out after a semester and a half. I just, you know, wasn't ready. Um, But but I've always, you know, I've read the Bible. I don't know how many times. And as a young kid, and certainly as a teenager. There are stories of, you know, uh, in, in Joshua, um, there's a story of a, of a, you know, guy traveling to a foreign city with his concubine. And he gets to the, to the city and he, you know, he has, he, he's granted sanctuary by his host, but the concubine was left outside. The men of the town came and said, let your, let your friend out there because he's not one of us. Let us have our way with him. They didn't, but, um, they left the concubine out there. They literally, um, brutally raped her all night long and left her dead on the doorstep. Now, that's in the Bible. That's a story in the Bible. And, and, you know, there are people who want to say everything in the Bible is, is God speaking. No, it's, it's actually people just telling stories. You know, and the story mm-hmm. they were telling there, um, was was brutal sexuality it it was not a pretty story at all um and yet as a teenage boy reading that we all went tee hee hee you know so here it is that we're Taught, you know, believe the Bible, it's, it's, it's the word of God and things like that. And yet in there, there's these stories of, you know, read, you know, Song of Solomon, just so erotic literature, you know, beautiful stuff. But, you know, it's pretty erotic, you know, talking about woman's breasts and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, little testosterone-fueled teenage boys studying that stuff really had fun with it. And yet we were told it was wrong you know? Mm-hmm. So how do you have something that's right and something that's wrong that really messes with your brain that, <laughs> you know, like how can it be right and wrong at the same time in dualism that doesn't exist. So, you know, things like that actually cause us to progress in our development. So we move from dualism to multiplicity to, you know, to etc. all the, all the way down the pike, but, but, you know, it, it played into a lot of guilt and shame because the church was telling me that sex is bad. Lutherans mm-hmm. are very stoic. You know um, we, we don't have pads on the pews in Lutheran churches because sitting on hardwood is more painful and, and, <laughs> and, and therefore, you know, a better lesson about what, you know, like, like, <laughs> This is, you know, like th- we're you know, not going to give this. you any
0: damn cushion. To sit <laughs> no, no, right? Yeah, you because know, <laughs> life
1: is hard, and God is yeah. tough, and you know all that kind of stuff. So, Lutheranism a, had its own the,
0: stuff. <laughs> that's the strong Swedes. That you yeah. know where that oh is, yeah. is, came from. You know we're, right, we're, exactly. Is your
1: background Swedish? Um. You know, Gurel is Nor- actually Danish.
0: <laughs> Danish. Well, but it's Norwegian. Let's just yeah, call right. it Norwegian. It's, it's right? Scandinavian. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. where it comes from. But look, yeah. you say in the book that teachings of the masters, most of the masters, all of the masters are founded in non-duality. That's what you're just talking about. Right. Um, Much has been written about this concept, but not everybody listening today gets the concept of non-duality. You said yeah. earlier, you know, black, white good, bad, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, Can you address how the teachings influenced your emotions you started Mm -hmm. and your early childhood and your studies from the Bible? You just told that story, that great Mm -hmm. story. Um, But (laughs) literally now let's fast forward to the Chris of today. Mm -hmm. How has that, those teachings, the influence and your journey in theology, mm-hmm. really defined who Chris is today fundamentally about his beliefs and how he carries his emotions.
1: Um, that marries together a lot of what we've been talking about so far. So so first off, um, throughout all of this time, I have experience. You know, so uh, my life experience, by the time we reach late teens, we're pretty certain that life experience is teaching us more than what we learned in the school. You know, so, you know, when we teach adult learning theory, we teach that you ask questions instead of tell answers, um, because because when you're telling people who are adult learners, you know, they already have so much experience that telling doesn't register anymore so you ask them what they know and then you fill in the gaps well you know through that through that journey of of spirituality and theology um you know my fundamental question throughout my my youth and young adulthood and and even in today is why do people believe what they believe um and and how do the how do they get those beliefs and you know how does that compare with what i believe um mm-hmm. so so my journey has been one of of starting to trust my experience as, as my spiritual experience as the truth that I live by um and and you ask you know why do the masters always teach non-duality because those truths don't live as big T capital truths anymore mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. are my truth and your truth and so when we get to a place of non-duality, when we see that there is no right and wrong, but that I choose this as my path and you choose that as your path, then I have a great deal, a great wide highway of, of room for you and anybody else's belief. You know, what if I believe that that whatever divinity is, is truly almighty, you know, mm-hmm. all all-powerful? Then I must also believe that that entity, that, that experience could show up in just exactly the way that Greg Voison needs it to show up. Mm-hmm. And it shows up exactly the way Chris Gorel needs it to show up and exactly the way the fundamental jihadist needs it to show up, you know, and suddenly I realized that. There's no right and wrong in here. There's just what that person's experience is, and so I can relate to another person. The fundamental problem we're facing in this divisiveness in our world today is that we don't have room for the other person in our discussion.
0: Exactly, and it, when you and get it, to non-dualism, then you do have there, room. You have room, right? You and say, I want to I tell yeah. our listeners in the time. Remaining, Chris, oh, yeah. because it's been a really engaging. We could probably do three. Hours. We could go for hours. I know, but but <laughs> but this book right here, this the table, yeah. right? It leads me kind of to this. I know the listeners can't see it that well, but yeah, buy right. the book just just for this, okay? <laughs> and the reason is, is scientifically, Chris has broken down all the emotions of passion, depression, uh, into this periodic table including all of the positive emotions, bliss, uh, humility, pride, grace, all of them into a periodic table, which is really quite fascinating, actually. And for those of you who can't see, I'm wearing gratitude right now. And he had one on earlier that was love. Um, (laughs) Here's my point. So,
1: yeah. Let me just do the backstory to that very quickly. Okay. All right. So it's not a research scientific thing. It's actually something I did because I was training, I was hired to teach emotional intelligence to a bunch of scientific researchers, you know, Mm -hmm. director, you know, the director of R and D at a, at a pharmaceutical firm. They were all PhD, MDs, brilliant off the charts, but had no emotional intelligence whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I needed a way for, for, to open the conversation, to get them to at least say, you know, emotions are important and that, you know, recognizing that somebody who is frustrated is not to say as you know, treated the same as somebody who's, who's angry. You know, those are different emotions though similar in, in looks. So I, I created, I used the Mendeleev of chart, the layout of the old chemistry chart that we all learned in high school You know, I used that as a format and then just I put in the emotions, but I did them in a way so that the pure emotions like the noble gases were at the top, the heavy emotions and the unstable ones were down in the in Mm -hmm. the in the radioactive area, the lanthanide and actinide series. I, you know, I had periodicity across from visceral emotions to more heady emotions, you know, and and so there was a way for him to to see it, you know, in relationship and in periodic you know levels and then i i tossed in a whole bunch of puns you know so a lot of the a lot of the emotion names the symbol i gave them are you know are puns like relief is listed as rx like a, a like a prescription you right. know pleasure is M-M, mm you know and things like that right. and then i also gave them atomic weight so if you stand up and show your gratitude the atomic weight for gratitude is 24.7
0: there, I, I can't get it that high. You can't get it high, high that, it, high. It, but it's there. <laughs> yeah, but twenty four point seven because
1: you know, love, uh, you know, gratitude is something you practice all the time, twenty four seven. You know, love has the atomic weight of three point one four pi because love makes the world go round. So I put in all these little jokes like that, which you know, these guys, you know, once they saw there were jokes, they started looking for them.
0: Right. And
1: and once they started looking for them, they were engaged in the conversation that could start talking to them about emotions. So that's kind of the backstory to it.
0: Well, and, but regardless of it being a backstory, I think if somebody was to take the chart and just pin it, I always say, you know, if somebody took a video camera and watched you during the day, would you like who you were? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and great question. And and this this book, just that chart alone no matter what the price of the book is to get (laughs) the chart is actually worth it. Because as much as you say, well, I did this for a bunch of scientists, everybody at their own mind is they have a degree of logic. They want to look at these emotions. They want to try and better understand it, which kind of leads me to my wrap up question here, because we are all trying to better understand how these emotions affect us in many different ways and we know that they do affect you um physiologically we know that you can raise your cortisol levels by having yeah. high degrees of anger we know that you can cause things to happen in your body as a result of too much your emotional overflow state of or yeah. of adrenaline as a yeah, result right. yeah. yeah um oxytocin we know is that love kind of chemical that euphoric yeah. one so mm-hmm. there's a cool total relationship here physiologically emotionally spiritually to all of these emotions and that leads me to that and end. our behavior yeah and our behavior yeah he did a great job in pulling all this together in one book and being personally vulnerable with your stories the reader learns a lot what are three big takeaways you want to leave the listeners with today about the book and about chris and his journey? And what he's learned about emotional intelligence.
1: Oh, great. Three points. So point number one is there is no good emotion, no bad emotion. All emotions are great. You know, there are uncomfortable emotions that we don't want to feel you know, and, and we might label them as bad, but you know, then that takes away the ability to do point number two, that the emotions are the doorway into understanding what your beliefs and your thoughts are that cause those emotions. And it's really self, self awareness that, you know, is at the bottom of emotional intelligence. And we're really trying to get to a place where we can have enough of an emotional vocabulary. You know, you know when I do workshops, I ask people write down as many emotion words as you can, and I'll give you five minutes. And most people have their pen down in two minutes, mm-hmm. and and the average number that they write is between thirty and forty words. And then they say, "Of all the ones that you've written down, circle the ones that you can say you actually fully experience that emotion." You know what the average is? Five. Mm-hmm. Five emotions that we we can name as ours. So well, because we um, can
0: identify with the name, the name right. related to emotion. Well,
1: and, and there there are names, most, but most people aren't making
0: the... most people aren't making a periodic yeah. chart of emotions. No,
1: no but you. most people don't have access to the hundreds of different emotional nuances right. that we have. So right. so part of part of the whole journey is just to get aware of of uh, you know a better emotional vocabulary. Um. Yeah. And then I think if there's a third point, um, it's that, you know, that you can get yourself to a level of awareness where you are able to make choice as opposed to reaction. So, so much of our work and so much of our, our living experience is a reaction experience. And in order to get emotional intelligence and understand and have a better emotional vocabulary so you can say, oh, that's why I'm doing this. Then I can, I'm now put myself in the, in the place of being able to make choice. I can choose to do the reaction. I can choose that, or I can choose to do something else. And freedom is being able to choose. If we don't have that access to the, to the substrate, we don't have the language that helps us identify the differences between those, those different feelings then we're not going to see why we're doing what we're doing. And we are going to go on automatic pilot. And most of our lives are lived on automatic pilot. I
0: yeah. want
1: people to walk away from this book with choice, you know, and, and, if, and, and if that's they the bottom line, the,
0: well, and if they read the book or they at least make an awareness, you said that in the, in one mm-hmm. of our earlier discussions, create an awareness about all these emotions that we have, even if they can't figure out how to deal with them, they can mm-hmm. identify them, right? Yeah. Um, and I think people will say, "Well, I can identify anger, and I can identify love, and I right? can identify right. this emotion and that emotion." But there's so many more that you need to understand that are sure. occurring subconsciously. Yeah. Mm-hmm? Um, so this book and is driving really- your
1: <laughs> and driving your thank you um, <laughs> and driving your behavior because it's subconscious. It's it's yeah. unconscious.
0: Yeah, it's it is. Not even sub.
1: It's unconscious.
0: Yeah. When- I mean, I i was my listeners already know this but um i go to a hypnotherapist and mm. every time i go and we do a session i literally realize you know just how much crap is blocking you know they say you what's the difference between your reality and your potential it's, <laughs> po- it's really right here's my reality and mm-hmm. here's the potential And frequently, you're not accessing the part of your brain, which is preventing the potential to be explored. Right. Right. And there's so much more potential than there is current reality. And your book is, everybody should get this book. It's easy to read. Look at this. It's not that many pages. Uh, Go out and go to Amazon. We'll have a link to that. We'll have a link to Chris's uh, website as well, which is inner-works-consulting.com. He also has a podcast, so you'll be able to access his podcast as well. Chris, it's been a pleasure having yeah. this really cool discussion. I want to invite you back for either Wrestling the Angel or Typhoon Honey. So let's <laughs> wor- work on one of those two uh, if you're open for that.
1: I would love to, Craig. I, I mean, I really enjoy our conversations, um, and and we always we always kind of – you know, tend to open up new things and I love the way you think and, and ask questions. So it's, it's a, be a pleasure to be back and, and, and do that again.
0: Yeah. You know, I, um, I'm trying to remember Phil, the psychologist Phil that they did the Netflix series about what's his name, Phil. Do you know what I'm talking about? You mean Dr. Uh, Phil? No. Oh, no. His First name is Phil and he, they did a documentary about him hmm. as a psychologist interviewing a guy and uh and I'll think of it, I'll put a link in yeah. the blog for everybody so you don't just go crazy thinking I'm nuts. But uh, <laughs> fascinating and it was how he really interpreted and asked questions. And I hope everybody out there listening thought the questions that I asked Chris today were revealing of some of the things that you needed to learn. And we want to thank you for listening, all my listeners. Uh, we appreciate you as much as anything uh, in this process. So, Chris, namaste to you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And we'll talk again soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Greg. Look forward to it.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again.